Good morning, First Baptist. What a great day to worship our Lord. It is a joy and an honor to be back in this pulpit. Um, I've been in your sanctuary many times uh, in recent days for special events, all kinds of things going on. Uh, but it's actually the first time I've preached since the interim, which, by the way, uh, is in spite of the fact that your pastor, Brother Ronnie, has asked me on more than one occasion to come and bring a message, but I was already uh, engaged in some other things. And so uh, just a joy to get to be with you. Just a couple of quick things before we get into God's Word this morning that I want to just mention. One is, uh, it is a joy this past August to have marked 11 years of serving you at First Baptist and the churches of Clarksville, Montgomery County through the Cumberland Baptist Association. Those years have gone by quickly and God has just done amazing things in the, year, the years that, we, that I've been here and I've gotten a chance to serve you and these churches and our community. I am fully uh, in belief that God is bringing the world to Clarksville, Tennessee. And if you don't believe that, try getting out on Trenton Road some afternoon. And in the midst of all the shifts that are happening as God is bringing people here, I am convinced that our God is doing a mighty work in our community and giving us a wonderful opportunity uh, to carry out the Great Commission right here, and especially as we think about how God works through local congregations that cooperate together. The second thing I just want to tell you is that uh, it, I mentioned having been here uh, to preach a couple times during the interim. It has been a joy for me to get to talk with members and staff members of First Baptist since your pastor has been here. Uh, God brought Ronnie Rains to this place. I am absolutely convinced of that. Dr. Ronnie is uh, not only a good leader and not only a biblically-centered preacher, but let's just be honest, he was God's man for this hour. And so it is an honor to fill in for him today and to bring a word. One other little thing on the lighter side I do need to tell you, and that is that my wife of 36 years is right here with me. And uh, there's one little detail I didn't tell you earlier about having been here these many years and not having been in this pulpit in just a little while. But my wife and I have been through a significant promotion. I mean a promotion. We have become grandparents. And so if you'd like to meet me in the foyer out here after church, I've got a picture or 3,000 that I'd like to show you. Are you with me? It is good to be with you today. I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 16 of that book, a message entitled, Planting the Flag of Hope in a Drifting World. And so I want to encourage you, if you are able today, would you stand in honor of the reading of God's Word? Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we are here, and we are experiencing a privilege. We are grateful, Father, for the privilege of worshiping you in spirit and in truth. Father, I lift up to you this precious congregation at First Baptist. I pray that you would continue your mighty work here. Father, I pray that you would continue to work in and through Dr. Ronnie Rains and his leadership team here. And Father, we are praying that you would help all of us to be prepared to be carrying out the Great Commission in a community that is growing but a community that is needy and thirsty for what is truly the best thing that they could have, and that is the good news of Jesus. I pray, Father, that as we worship and as we share from your word today, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross, and I pray that you'd help each of us to know that we've been in your presence. And Father, most of all, I pray that you'd help us not simply to be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. In Jesus' precious name, amen. You may be seated. Perspective is critical in everything that we do and say. I mean, you think about it. Our perspective says so much about the way that we process the world around us. Uh, think about that for just a moment. I, I mentioned just a second ago grandparenting. And for those who have joined that elite club, <laughs> Uh, it, you know, your, your perspective towards your grandchildren is kind of amazing. You begin to think, man, it was kind of worth raising those kids <laughs> because, because this one is a blessing, right? And then when you get tired, they go home, right? Uh, so, so perspective is important in that. Here's another one. If you don't believe perspective is important, try having a kid that plays sports and never in your life have you thought a referee was so terrible until they call a foul on your kid right because that couldn't happen our perspective just dictates so much in our emotions and that kind of thing one of the things that we see today in our culture is a heavy amount of generalization about different generations well, all the people in that age group are like that, and all the people in that age group are like that. But the reality is, all of our perspective, if we are followers of Jesus, needs to be checked at the foot of the cross. And so when we begin to look this morning at a passage of Scripture, I want to just give you a thought and a perspective about how we perceive what God has to say to us in this passage. And it's simply this. I was listening just in the past couple of weeks to a guy who was teaching about the work of revitalization in congregations. 
And I just have to tell you, working with an association of churches, many, many of our churches need to see revitalization or replanting in that congregation. But having said that, there was a a poll he was quoting recently that said 69% of people inside the church are fearful about the future. Wow. Now, wait a minute. Let's just back up a second. Aren't we followers of Jesus? And yet what we find is that if we're not careful, all the things that are swirling around us, and there are a lot of things swirling around us, will dictate our perspective. And so when we begin to look at the the world around us, we recognize that there is great political divide. We recognize there are financial concerns all over the place. Brother Richard said earlier, we're looking at war in different places of our world. We recognize that not only are there different concerns of events and things that are taking place, but let's just be honest about it. A 24-7 media and social media just amplifies that anxiety and that fear. And so when we begin to think about that, we need to recognize a couple of very important things. And here is the greatest of these. Our God is still on his throne. And so when we begin to recognize that that reality and begin to celebrate that, it is just possible that we ought to begin to look at all that's going on in our world and we ought to stop and think, what if God is allowing these things to happen? so that people might yet have the opportunity to respond to the gospel of Jesus. Could it just be that some people might be desperate enough, they might turn towards Jesus? It ought to change our perspective. But there's one other thing that ought to change our perspective. Jesus taught and brought his disciples along carefully so they might be prepared for times that they might be filled with fear and anxiety. And so the big idea I want you to see today is simply this. In a rapidly changing world, we must hear his call and see his plan. Did you catch that? The world is rapidly changing around us, and we have to hear his call and see his plan. And so as you and I come to the text this morning, at Matthew 16, Jesus has already made the turn, so to speak, for the cross. But something unique is about to happen that will unfold as we look at the text today. And so as Jesus begins to to prepare his disciples, one of the things that he is doing is he is preparing his disciples for four times in the chapters right after this, in which he's going to speak very specifically about going to the cross and suffering. And so it brings us to the text here. He is preparing them, and I want you to look with me, first of all, at the fact that Jesus calls us to clarity. Jesus calls us to clarity. Look with me, if you would, at verse 13 and 14. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, why do people say, or who do people say, that the Son of Man is? 
And so the first thing I want you to recognize about this call to clarity is very simply this. He is taking them to a strategic place to ask them a strategic question. And as he asks those questions, what will happen is they will begin to see a clarity they had not seen before. Several years ago, when my kids were still at home and I was sitting on the, on the couch one day and I was watching a ball game. And I noticed as I sat there watching the ball game that for the, some strange thing had happened. Across the screen on the TV, the score was on the screen. And I could not see the score. Why is that? And so my son literally was just walking through the room. And I just said, hey, I said, Sam, what is the score there? And he told me what it was. And then he kind of looked at me funny. And I realized I used to be able to see the score. We had an optometrist in our church. I went to see him the following week. And this is what he said after he checked my eyes. How's your driving been? That's not encouraging. <laughs> I got my first set of glasses as an adult, and when I put them on, and I was, I was in a, like a Walmart optical shop thing, and I put them on, and I turned around, and I could not believe the difference. I mean, the, the, the way in which I could see not only uh, sort of uh, the, the clear edges of things, but even color was more clear and crisp to me. And what I want you to see in that is simply this. Jesus is calling us in this day to make sure that we see his purposes clearly and not let them be blurred by the world. He takes them to a significant place. And so as you and I get into the text here, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. But here's what you'll find out if you track through the, 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 the journey in the Gospel of Matthew. He is taking his disciples geographically out of the way. He takes them up north and away from Jerusalem to a place that's some 120 miles from Jerusalem. I just said he was headed towards the cross, right? Except he takes a detour. And can I just tell you this spiritual truth about walking with the Lord? When we walk with the Lord and he takes us on a detour, we ought to pay attention. Because it's in those places he often teaches us things we could never see in the common places we might travel. And so he takes them to a place called Caesarea Philippi, which was a pagan place. It was a place filled with the worship of all kinds of other gods. There were at least 14 temples that had been built throughout that community. They had a history of worshiping, worshiping Baal. Then they had the history of, of worshiping uh, the, god, the Roman god Pan. And one of the places they worshipped him was right at the base of a rock mountain. And at the base of that mountain, there was a little place that came out from there. I've been there. Perhaps you've been to Israel, you've seen that. And it's considered the mouth of the Jordan River. And so when you are there, it's just rock all around. And you begin to look at it and you recognize if you're in this place where they used to worship, there is a place and we're told that they sometimes even made child sacrifices there. They would go on to worship Caesar. It was a Gentile place. It was a pagan place. It was a regular cafeteria of belief systems 
religions and thoughts. Do we live in a place like that today? Could it just be that all the things that are swirling around us are a place just like where Jesus took his disciples? And as he takes his disciples there, he begins to, to speak to them. And so the place is significant, but also the question is significant. Who do people say that I am? Now, we always know that Jesus doesn't ask a question because he doesn't know the answer. He asks a question because he wants for the disciples to interact with him. And so they are beginning to respond and say, well, some say you're John the Baptist and some say you're a prophet like Elijah or Jeremiah. It's interesting because they're quoting back what they've heard people say. And you know what I find in our culture today? People may say lots of complimentary things about Jesus. They might compliment him. It doesn't mean they follow him. Let me take it a step further. Are there times that we say nice things about Jesus, but we don't follow Jesus? And so he, after hearing that, he, he moves a step further and, and he begins to, to speak to his disciples a little deeper by asking a question, not just what does everybody else say, but who do you say that I am? It's interesting to know that Jesus never sugarcoats things. He never undersells what he has to say. Uh, unlike sales and marketing today, Jesus has a way of cutting to the price of a matter. And as he speaks to them about these significant questions, you'll notice what comes next after he says, who do you say that I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Peter responds back, speaking up. When he calls him the Christ, he's calling him the anointed one. He gives the most detailed profession of who Jesus is that we've seen so far in the Gospel of Matthew. Mark and Luke both tell a version of the story, but it's a little shorter, a little more abbreviated than this. But as Peter speaks up and says, Out of the Christ, the Son of the living God, would you notice how Jesus responds to him? Notice it says, he says in verse 17, And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, Translation of Barjona is probably son of John. You just called me the son of God. I'm calling you the son of John. He gives him this address that, that interacts and connects with him. But would you notice how he responds beyond that? He said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven... He says, I want you to know you have given what is a divine uh, understanding. God gave you, the Father gave you this word. You didn't just think this up in human logic. Church family, hear me today. One of the great things about Simon's statement <clears throat> is whatever level he understood, he was giving back what only God could give him. 
as you and I look at a hurting world, as we look at coworkers that need Jesus, we don't just need to give them what is the logic in our head or what the world says. We need to give them the hope of Jesus. And when we do that, it's amazing how God will take it and do amazing things with it. And then you'll notice that he, he shows him the significance of those answers. Verse 18, I will also say to you, oh, let me back up. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. But my Father who is in heaven, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. He calls him a stone. Now let me take that a step further. As he calls him a stone, later on in the little letter that Peter writes, 1 Peter 2, 5, he would speak of the church being made up of living stones that have been connected together. And so, yes, he's using some symbolism here, but he's saying, you're like a stone, and upon this rock, the rock being your, your confession of who I am, upon this rock, I will build my church. Peter, you're not perfect. And you'd be used in some special ways in the beginning of the church. But that confession of who Jesus is, is the basis for the hope that we need in Jesus. This is always a truth today in a world that is often questioning truth. If we will get our Christology right, lots of other things will begin to fall into place. If we know who Jesus is, it changes our perspective about how we see everything around us. The second thing I want you to see is Jesus calls us to purpose. He calls us to purpose. He begins to, to speak about the fact that he's going to build his church. And by the way, it's the first time in the New Testament the word church is used, ecclesia. It'd be used three times in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, about 114 times in the New Testament. But specifically here, he's talking about big church. And as he talks about that, here's what you and I need to know about the fact that he calls us to purpose. The church was God's idea. It wasn't man's idea. Now, Brother Rick, why is that important? Well, it's important because there are times for all of us when if we think about it, we could criticize the church. There are times we can think about bad things that have happened in the church. We can think about how imperfect it is. But church, hear me today. The church was God's idea. And so when we hear what God's idea is, it ought to challenge us to realize it was his plan for us to carry out his mission together. It was his plan for community. He gives us this wonderful picture of the body image that we see in the writings of Paul, where you and I recognize it's not an accident that we're part of a local church. We are to fit together. Oh, how powerful it is to think about what that looks like. But the church has a purpose. It was God's idea, and it has a purpose. Let's look at that a little further. And so he says, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. We are in the midst of football season. <clears throat> it's a safe Sunday for me to preach because Tennessee did not play yesterday. Just, just kidding. But you know, one of the great sports analogies that fit this is the church 
is on offense, not on defense. God is calling us as a church to be sure that we are reaching forward with the good news of Jesus, with a lost and dying world. Now, do you see why this is so important? When fear begins to creep in, our fear of the future, our fear of all these other things that could happen that are out there, it inhibits our carrying out the purpose of what Jesus called us to. And so what happens sometimes is churches can be paralyzed and sometimes they are terrified about the the changes and the things that can happen outside. But let me also tell you this, sometimes churches can be paralyzed by their fear of change inside. We don't like to move things and change things. A few years ago, we we moved our associational office. And in the process of doing that, I opened a closet door in the old office building. And when I opened this closet door, it was a pretty large room, and it was absolutely filled with old, outdated office equipment. There were rotary phones, there were typewriters, uh, there was an old duplicator thing. Now, if you're, if you're older than I am, you might remember that they used to make these duplicated things, and when you smelled the ink, it kind of smelled, had a, had a unique smell to it, and, and you'd, you'd hand crank these things. This is long before the things we use today, right? But this room was just filled with this stuff. And so what happened in the association over the years is they'd get new updated equipment, and instead of getting rid of the old, they just shoved the old in a closet. Took a long time to get rid of all that. <laughs> But you know what? The purpose of the church never needs updating. We need to be focused on what God has called us to do. He's called us to purpose. And would you recognize that when he speaks of us being on offense and the gates of Hades will not uh, be able to hold us back, we were reminded the word Hades means the place of the dead. And so literally when people come to know Jesus Christ and follow him and they are saved and they're baptized and discipled, guess what? They are being rescued from the other side of the gates. People are being set free because they're following Jesus. May we never lose sight of the fact there is hope in that. By the way, the church has a purpose and part of that purpose is for us to make sure that we realize we're not the only ones doing this. One of the things I love about associational work is the opportunity for churches to partner together. I remember just recently uh, being downtown, 22 churches, just a couple weeks ago or a week ago, whatever, uh, 22 churches represented the gospel was preached to middle school and high school students. It was a cooperative effort. This past July, we took, from the association, we took 28 to Nicaragua. They represented six churches in the BCM. One of the things I just love about that is seeing relationships built between churches as people partner together to do God's work and God's will. I love that because one of the things I see in that is this model of the fact that when we see the larger purpose, it helps us to partner together to make sure we are carrying out the the Great Commission and realizing that we are better together. You and I are better together supporting international missionaries through the IMB because of what we can connect to do together 
As we've partnered together, we've also seen that locally as we've seen five churches within our associational area here who, who really came to a point of struggle and, and not sure what was going to happen next for them as a congregation. And we've seen a, a partner church come in and replant or revitalize that church. And every one of those five have testimonies of how people have come to know Jesus because people partnered together. You know, one of the things that keeps us from partnering together sometimes is pride. It's pride. But when you and I look at the, the greater purpose, all oh, that God can do amazing things, oh, what a challenge it is to recognize that perfect love casts out fear. When you and I recognize who he is and what he wants to do in and through us, he can do amazing things. The Great Commission is about seeing people come to know Jesus. Can I just share with you one side note as we look at demographics across Clarksville and see people coming here, literally moving here from all over the place. One of the things that is true about it is a lower percentage of them are already know, already know Jesus and are connecting to a church. We are on mission right here in our community. Thirdly, this, Jesus doesn't just call us towards clarity. He doesn't just call us towards purpose, but he calls us towards hope. Look with me, if you would, at verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whenever you bind on earth, shall have been bound in heaven, and wherever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. What's he talking about? He's saying to, the, to, to, to these disciples, I am giving you spiritual authority. I'm giving you the tools that you need to do the work that will be ahead of you. The church has access to authority and power that comes from Jesus today. You and I don't just have some self-help thing to say to people. We don't just ha have some little compliment thing to say to them and say, oh, it'll be better tomorrow. No, you and I can point them to Jesus. And you know what we found about him? Our God is still capable of restoring marriages. Our God is still capable of healing the scars of our past. Our God is still capable of setting people free from addiction. Our God is still capable of replacing our idols with heavenly treasures. Our God can still turn pain into a testimony of healing. Our God can still turn skeptics into believers. Our God can still set his spirit on fire in a church to use them in a way they've never been used before. Our God can hear the cries of our heart and fill the desires of our soul because he is faithful and he calls us towards hope. The church knows today that that hope, part of that hope is set on the fact that our God sets the agenda. Our God shows us what we as a church need to be doing. He gives us some tools to do it and some tasks to carry out. Uh, some of those keys to the kingdom are things like he's given us the, the gift of the gospel. God still saves lives. He's given us the gift of prayer. He's given us the word of God, which is sharper than any two-edged sword. He's given us the opportunity to know that the Holy Spirit is with us. He gives us his presence. 
One other thing about that, as God sets the agenda, one of the things he wants to do in our lives and for us as a church is he wants us to transform our thinking. He wants to transform our thinking. All that you and I would be transformed, not being conformed to the ways of the world. Now hear me on this. We hear so much noise. It's much easier sometimes to be conformed to what the world says or what the world thinks. He's calling us to think in transformed ways. We are a people who have been called to hope. That hope begins with the promise of eternal life. That hope also points us to an eternal future in a place that is so much better than we ever could have imagined. But our hope is based not on our identity on our own, but our identity on who we are in Jesus. All that you and I would recognize. The disciples were being prepared to hear about him going to the cross. And here's part of what he was doing in his teaching. He's basically saying, don't you be worried about this. There is a plan for how you're to get through it. You are to make sure you're doing these things. You're to make sure that you have the identity of who I am nailed down. You are to make sure that you are confessing who I am with your lives. You're to make sure you're on purpose. And when you and I are doing those things, hope comes. All that we would recognize today. Hope is God's gift to the church. My son was on a business trip this week, and he had a funny thing happen to him. He uses rental cars a lot on these business trips, and as he is usually getting these rental cars, and some of them are nice, some of them aren't, whatever, you know. And he said, I got this car this week, and he said, you won't believe it. He said, I didn't even have to unlock it. It's walked up, and when I walked up, because of the thing that was in my pocket, it is unlocked automatically. You know, I wonder, what if we begin to look at the open doors that God can give that open up not because of who we are, but because of who's with us? He is with us. And so in the midst of all the things that are going on in our world, I'm reminded of Hebrews 6 that says, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and faithful. What a wonderful gift he's given us in hope. And so I wonder today, as you and I live our lives in Clarksville, as we serve in and through a local church, are we people who know clearly who Jesus is? And not only do we know who he is, but do we know what we should be doing? And are we obedient in those tasks each and every day? And so today, if you're here and you're worshiping with us or you're listening to this message, my first question is you, to you is simply this. Have you ever come to the place where you've put your trust and faith in Jesus and you've asked him to forgive you of your sin 
and you've asked him to be Lord of your life. God can change your life today. But secondly, let me say this. There are some of you here, no doubt, if you are honest and you say, Brother Rick, there's so much going on in our world. And you've become discouraged by what you see. If that's the case, maybe even you feel overwhelmed. Can I just remind you that Jesus recognizes that? He speaks to us about fear and anxiety, but he also gives us a, a plan and a purpose. And maybe today you need to bring that fear to the foot of the cross. Maybe that fear is keeping you from witnessing to a coworker. Maybe that fear is keeping you from being obedient in service. Maybe that fear is holding you back from seeing God do amazing things in you or around you or in your family. Whatever the case, if you're overwhelmed and discouraged, would you bring that to the foot of the cross today? And one of the things I think is so true is we need to recognize we are dealing with spiritual warfare all around us. And maybe today, you need to make sure that you are looking past that far enough to see that God might be calling you to serve him in some special way. There might be somebody in this, in this congregation this morning or hearing this message and God's calling you to vocational Christian service or to serve as a missionary in some way, shape, or form. And if that's the case, in just a few moments, you could respond to him. Whatever the case today, I want to simply challenge you to hear me clearly. God wants to plant the flag of hope, not only in a drifting world, but right in your life as well. He is faithful, and he can be trusted. Would you stand with me as we pray together? Father, I am so grateful for the privilege of being here in your presence. Lord, just as Jesus had a conversation with his disciples and specifically with Peter, we recognize that all of us from time to time need to be reminded of the hope that you can give. And so, Father, as we've shared in worship, if there is a person here who needs to respond to you and be obedient, I pray they'd have the courage to do that. Lord, there are many ways to respond, but we recognize that you've placed some church leaders here down front, and I pray you'd encourage people to come and talk and pray with them. Lord, if there's a person who's never trusted you as, as Lord and Savior, I pray they would settle their eternal destiny today before they leave this place. Lord, if there's a person who's overwhelmed with what they're seeing in the world, may you guide them and bring those things to the foot of the cross. Lord, if there's a person here who needs to obey you, and answer your call. I pray in these moments, they might take a step of obedience and a step of faith. May you guide us in these precious moments. And we're gonna thank you for the fact that you've spoken to us loudly and clearly today. In Jesus' name, amen.